Hello and good evening. Welcome to the Dead Level Podcast. This week, we have Sensei Suplex on, and he's going to talk about his D&D campaign. It's pretty sick. There's a thousand people in it, and we might be one of them someday. Also, it's uh, anime time. We're going to be talking about our top five animes for a second, and then I'm going to talk about ghosts for two minutes. This podcast wasn't supposed to be about Dungeons and Dragons, but this week, you bet your ass it is. Welcome to the Dead Level Pod. All right. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Zen Level Podcast. And this week, we have a very special guest with us, Key from Sensei Suplex, known on Twitch and YouTube, who runs one of the most intricate and interesting uh, projects I think I have ever heard of in the TTRPG scene. And while I know that our podcast, we were trying to lean away from doing just talking about D&D stuff all the, all the time. Oh, yeah. I felt like this project was just so cool that we had to shine a light on it. And I wanted to get a bit of Key's perspective here on what it takes to run something like Project Aurora. This is... It, it is like a MMO-like TTRPG experience where people can pop in and out do just the sound of this thing and comprehending it and what it would take to run this thing just absolutely blows my mind uh, so welcome key and uh, we're just gonna kick it off man how are you doing i'm doing great thank you for having me yeah i mean it's been a wild uh, sort of ride for the past couple i think three to four ish years it, it's been amazing. We've had a lot of sort of just crazy sort of happenings and events that have happened in the likes of the universe and more. And I'm just really, really excited to be able to talk about Project Door and just kind of what we've been doing over the past couple of years, right? Heck yeah. I cannot wait to hear more about it because I didn't know anything about it until Taryn mentioned it. And I was like, oh yeah, that sounds cool. And then I actually watched some of your content over on YouTube and I was like, oh, this is a lot. I don't know if I, I it takes someone with, I guess, uh, how, how do you organize something like this, first off? Pray. No, I'm kidding. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, That's fair. That's totally fair. It's, oh boy, where do we start? Like, I mean, there's a lot of things to sort of manage when it comes to it. I mean, like, you got to obviously manage the, okay, how many dungeon masters are sort of be going to run mm -hmm. their games? How many campaigns are going to be going on? What's the campaign's going to be kind of about? Yada, yada, yada. I think it ultimately starts off with really, like, when it comes to dungeon mastering and more, I started off eventually only running one campaign. I was like, man, I really want to play some more D&D. End up grabbing another a campaign, another group of players, and we started running, uh, I think, Tomb of Annihilation for the time. And mm -hmm. eventually, I was like, man, Tomb of, Anni Tomb of Annihilation is really, really cool, and this other campaign is really, really cool, but what if I just do another campaign that just focuses on just traveling the galaxy and the universe that we have so far? And then I ran a third campaign, and it's like, oh my god, what am I doing? <laughs> and eventually, like, when you have all those sort of campaigns going on, and it's more you focus on a lot of working smarter, not harder. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the times you'll try to, I wouldn't say reuse exactly, but more so repurpose a lot of encounters that may have not been able to have been used in the past and more. And then you really get to thinking is like, oh, well, hey, it makes a lot of sense for a lot of these things to kind of be interconnected for them to be affecting each other because, hey, that's one, it's just really, really cool to kind of do in the first place. But it's also really easy to kind of prepare and kind of utilize because you've already, you remember it because you kind of experienced it. You were mm -hmm. the person DMing it. You were there and so were your players um, and more. And it's just a really cool experience. It's really, really uh, efficient. Sure, we'll call it that. And it's just been, it's a lot, but it's very, very fun. Very, very fun. One change for anything. So just for, I guess, the benefit of anyone who's listening who isn't familiar already with the project, in like your own words, how would you describe exactly what, Project Aurora is. 
Yeah, I mean, do you want me to do it in the whole like uh, sensei suplex YouTuber voice? You just want me to explain? Oh, please. <laughs> please. <laughs> yeah, Give us the full faces. experience. The floor is yours. <laughs> I don't think they can see my face, but. Hello, everybody. My name is Sensei Suplex, and I'm a professional dungeon master that runs a giant living persistent universe known as Project Aurora. Essentially, every single living campaign that runs in this strange, wacky universe can affect each other in a multitude of ways. But it doesn't stop there, because not only do the games that I run in the universe affect each other, but also do all the campaigns that other dungeon masters run in the universe. They can all affect each other as well, as it is an ever-expanding, growing world that not even just we can, or not only that we sort of effect but you guys can also affect it as well we get the likes of chat interaction live and in real time where you guys can give out inspiration you guys can even help out with world building you guys can create gods and even change the weather on a whim regardless everybody leaves their mark so i ask hey how are you going to leave yours and yeah that's basically what project core kind of is and <laughs> that's that an YouTuber spiel. i love it is that the first time you've ever done that no <laughs> um, there's a running joke there's a running joke where i'm just gonna press like an audio recording one of these days at the end of the stream and it's just no one's gonna know yeah if they can't see your face how would they even know so this go ahead. oh sorry go ahead i think you're okay. just about to ask the same question um was, so, go ahead. so you have multiple dms in project aurora how do you organize information across this with one another because i imagine that simultaneous campaigns info can change pretty quick if you're all affecting the same world yeah yeah so a lot of it is we have to use like a or a website or a software like our notes have to be kind of on point when it comes to certain things and more so we use like world anvil to kind of just keep track of a lot of the big universe sort of stuff but mm -hmm. one thing that we i mean we have to be kind of realistic we can't sort of track like oh you know, I don't know. We're going to just name a character Vruck Trials. They moved a chair to the left a couple of inches. We don't track that because, like, mm -hmm. you know, but we, we track obviously like the bigger stuff like, oh, maybe this is the interaction they had with this sort of character. This is what they're, or this is what this NPC is going to be going out and doing. These are the uh, sort of how you say main moving factors in the world and all that sort of stuff, right? So what we're trying to sort of shift into when it comes to like organizing dungeon masters type stuff, we've learned a lot over the years, but when it comes to it, we try to have it where it's like, I want to say miniature arcs rather, where all the dungeon masters are kind of focusing on a main theme. Like right now, the current arc that we're getting started in, I think uh, this end of the year and then a little bit at the beginning of next year is mm -hmm. it's the big revolution that's been happening between the, the crowns guard, which is like the king's guard and all that stuff, you know, the rulers of the land. There is another faction known as the Brother Brotherhood of Ascension, which is basically like, you know, your generic sort of undead necromancer cultists and all that sort of stuff. And then there is another faction, which is the Vanguard. But the cool thing about that is those, they are the revolutionists. They were actually a faction that was made by players in the very first campaign of Project Aurora. And to this day, they have been affecting the world and universe and multiple people have been joining that faction. They're trying to take over the likes of the continent and free it and liberate it, right? That's so that, how long ago was that first group? Well, that was my first ever D and D campaign <laughs> that I ran. Okay. That was yeah, <laughs> it, that was four ish years ago. Because I was like, I had just got done playing in, well, kind of playing in Lost Minds of Fandelver, and I was like, four sessions, and I'm like, oh, I gotta get my new D and D fix. Oh my god, <laughs> I gotta <Yeah>. play. <laughs> and like, I'm like, screw it, uh -huh. I'll, I'll I'll run the game, I'll run a game or whatever. And that's kind of how that campaign series got started. That's how they get you. I swear, it's like I got that bite, and then it was like. No, I want to run like two sessions a week. I need more. I started like DMing for Hers League around town. And then I was getting requests from some people like, can you go run a game over at this shop on Tuesdays instead? And I was like, I guess I could fit it in my skit, whatever. And there was 
about four or five months there in 2017 or 18, where like I was running about four or five games of D&D a week. And I was just like, I have got to come back on something. I can't like, oh my God. But just thinking about how stressed I felt about doing that, But then managing it on the level of where you are, where it's so you do have multiple DMs that are helping to run this world, but still even just doing the you are the head honcho of all this. Like you are the 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 all father of it, I guess we could say, right? Sensei, if you will. Yeah, the sen yeah, there we go. (laughs) For a time in the disco, we even called us the grand poobah or something. Yeah. (laughs) But like how many so how many active players are there right now? So, okay, I can't give you that number because I I genuinely don't know. Um, (laughs) I can give you a ballpark estimate. So there's at least 18 players I'm running for in my game. There's 20-ish in the West Marshes campaign I'm running. It's like around 40. Then for all the other campaigns, it's like six. We typically do like a max of six, like for each group, right? Right. (sighs) We're going to just add... Again, ballpark estimates, another 36 on top of that. It's going to come around 76 to a little less than 100, like that are active players, right? That's just nuts, man. That's Uh, awesome. I Years ago, from like 2014 to 2016, I was in a West Marches campaign that ran for a while. And that was a lot of fun. And this feels almost like you've taken a West Marches campaign and leveled it up a little bit to the next kind of thing which is really cool but something i do remember from those days that we encountered as a problem which we solved once by was things just getting too out of hand or like too many decisions being made writing yourself into a corner but the version of that when it's 10 dms have you ever had to do any kind of world reset sort of events for you because i know in that Mm. original west marches game things got so crazy that we're like all right you know what we're going to have this, the entire community voted on it and we agreed we're going to have this huge hobgoblin invasion and everyone's going to die, but we're going to role play <laughs> it out. So we had this huge combat with anyone who wanted to show up. There are like 60 players or something like that. Everybody died, but that was just our way of being like, we're starting over, but with less concern. <laughs> have you ever had to do anything like that where you hard reset part of the world or anything? Or have you had the same world going consistently for this whole time? So, I mean, like Project Aurora never really started where it's like, oh, okay, you know, we're hitting the go live button and then just, you know, we jump in with 20 sort of dungeon masks and that, like it just started off like chugging that way. It never really did. We always had our little bit of issues. I mean, just because, you know, it's IRL. Things happen, right? Where it will be like, because it only started with what? Myself as a dungeon master, and then I think we had three or four other dungeon masters that joined in. It was really easy to manage um, when it was kind of small, but then obviously, you know how D&D campaigns uh, go. They may, be not la- they may not last because, hey, work is an obligation or a couple of players not able to make it, yada, yada, yada. So eventually campaigns drop out and then people jump back in as new dungeon masters, right? So it's always been that kind of consistent flow where we haven't necessarily got to the point where we're overwhelmed. But even then, we've kind of set a bunch of safety nets. I can't think of the exact term where it's more of like, okay, hey, we're going to more so try to make sure everything is organized, make sure everything is kind of up to snuff before anything sort of crazy happens. So like we're doing where that whole arc thing where it's more of like, okay, everybody's going to run just a five to 15 session campaign, right? Or Mm -hmm. at maximum 15 sessions, right? We don't want anybody to go super crazy, burn themselves out, and then, you know, not do anything, Mm -hmm. right? So if you want to run three sessions, cool. If you want to run a one shot, dope, fantastic. And that's kind of a way how we've been able to mitigate that little bit of burnout or people sort of dropping before anything really happens. And if they do drop, we've actually added this little provision where it's like, okay, so I hate doing this, but we kind of have to do it as a, you know, sort of realistic sort of sense. But if your campaign, for whatever reason, it 
stops, right? What is kind of the result that you would kind of want to happen? You know, if goblins invade the actual IRL world and they're busting down each and every one of their doors and they, they strangle you or whatever and you can't run your campaign, then what happens? And that's been basically a way how we've been able to sort of mitigate those little bit of issues and all that stuff. Now, when that's it comes awesome. to... Yeah, thank you. When it comes to like uh, mitigating the bit of issues of just too many cooks in the kitchen, we did actually have that issue recently and all that sort of stuff. And we folk or we realized that we were we kind of were going a little bit of ways away from like how D and D's kind of like actually sort of ran, and we were kind of making a lot of things more complicated than they needed to be. Where we had like a system where it's like, oh, there's the dungeon master, then there's the world builder, and then there's the music composer, and then there's uh, the artist, and all that mm. sort of stuff, right? You know, doing that sort of whole thing. But when it's just more of like, hey, we're all just here to have fun playing D and D. We're not getting paid for this or anything crazy like that, you know. So that was a big issue. So we eventually sort of scrapped a lot of those rules, and we just said, hey, dungeon masters, run your games, do what you do, do what you, you know, what you, what you kind of expect when it comes to playing fifth edition or whatever. And then we have a bunch of teams that can help you sort of enhance your game. So if you need an artist for this specific NPC, then sure, you got that. You need a map cartographer, go for it, but run your games. That's awesome. I think it's really important to do when you're running things on a larger scale to do something that's story arc based, because there's nothing worse than being recommended an actual play campaign. And I and I have one that's run very for a very long time on my own channel. But it, there's nothing worse than being handed this really long AP and being and feeling like you have to go back to the beginning as a right. listener. And I can only imagine how daunting that would be as a DM to try and maintain. So yeah, I, I get the story arc thing. We implemented that in my long running game, and it's made all of the difference for both us as players and both for our DM, just so they can have a break. Yeah, I think multiple DMs running in the same world is mm -hmm. a really underrated concept. Obviously, for something like Project Aurora, you, that's what you have to do. But even just at the game table, once I started DMing, the person who taught me how to play D&D, we would switch mm -hmm. off like he would do a campaign for six months and I would do one for six months. And he was at the time he was like, this is amazing. Like, I've just been DMing for the past seven years and now I can <laughs> finally like play. So like, it gives people an opportunity to play. But also, like you said, burnout mm -hmm. is real. Like, I'm sure everyone who's DMed for a long enough period of time, you get to that point where you're halfway through a campaign. And you're like, oh, fuck, man. I, so... I would love to play in a campaign where everyone switches off like every six weeks. Yeah, I, 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 I had someone bring the idea to me for like a, a YouTuber thing, and it just hasn't gotten off the ground. But like the pitch was we would DM, I think it was like for three or four weeks, and then it would switch. So our character would basically just become like an NPC or they would become like or like the party would control them, whatever we feel comfortable with. Yeah. But we would step into the DM seat and just tell the next part of the story, no matter where we're at. And I was like, I kind of I kind of want to do that. Just. Because I know how my little ADHD goblin brain works, and six weeks is about all that I can handle at a time as far as prep goes. <laughs> it's funny you mention that because that's, I have the opposite problem where when I'm thinking up a new campaign that's not based on a book or anything, I'll come up with the last part of it. Be like, mm -hmm. okay, that's going to be sweet a year from now, but how does that happen? And then I have the same problem you just mentioned, which is, okay, six week chunks. Right. I feel like we should normalize the smaller campaign. I totally like normalize agree. the 15 session campaign. I was, yeah, I actually agree with that. I was talking to a good friend of mine, Mudcat. They're over on D20 Deathmatch over on Twitch and stuff like that. And he was saying the exact same thing. Like, 
I can only handle like a short mini campaign series. Those long spanning campaigns for like 50 plus sessions. It's just like, it's rough. Just mm-hmm. everybody's busy right now. And then more so eventually, you know, things can happen. You get burned out of the game. You get tired of your character, yada, yada, yada. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we're living knows. in the, the time of the global panini. So, you know, someone gets <laughs> sick and you're down for a couple of weeks. Something yeah. I do love about long running campaigns though. And this isn't like, positive or a negative. This is just a thing that is true. And based on the type of person you are, well, depending on how you feel about this, but they always devolve into like anime tropes, whether they want to or not. What I mean <laughs> by that is if you have a campaign that goes for eight months, inevitably someone's going to be like, ah, I war with this character. Like, is it okay if I change character? I'm like, yeah, sure. Let's find like an interesting way to get rid of this character. So like, They'll have their soul trapped by a witch or something, which is a real thing that I did in a Strahd campaign that was going for a long time. And then that player played that new character for a while. And then, but because now they're introducing a character at level 10, they can make their build with that in mind. So sometimes mm-hmm. the abilities get crazier. And then we played that for another few months. And that same person was like, oh man, I really miss my old character. I regret switching. I'm like, all right, we'll find a way to bring them back. So I have like people coming back from the dead and all kinds of crazy anime shit going on, which is fun. But again, mm-hmm. if you're looking to, for a grounded story, then yeah. it's best. There's been like, because I tried to run a more like West Marches style table where anyone can come in and join. Because I know me being in my 30s and all my buddies being around the same age, it's like work mm-hmm. might come up. There's guys that we've known that are just like, I have to literally move out of the state for three months. I whatever. And like we just recently had it happen where one of the guys playing my roomkeeper class is he's not going to be available for a couple months. And it was like, all right, so now I've got to figure out like what we can do to give him an out and whether or not he wants to come back, we can leave that open to whatever. Mm -hmm. So I just had it where he goes up and reads some runes that are on a portal and doesn't realize by reading it and and by speaking the words, it literally pops him like (laughs) randomly teleports him Mm -hmm. somewhere. Yeah. (laughs) So now I'm like, okay, that gives us room for maybe he got sent in the future. I don't know. We'll figure that out when we get to it, right? Right. But, like, that kind of stuff, I feel like uh, having a couple of things in your back pocket, especially as you get older, your friends aren't going to, with real life coming up and everything, Mm -hmm. it's part of the reason why I see the reason for moving towards a more virtual format. Mm -hmm. Because it almost feels like it's just required that your table needs to be that adaptable. If you're like, we want consistency, and we're going to do a super long-running campaign, you guys are not Mm going to be able to meet in person every yeah. single session it's just not gonna happen Bef- before yeah. the pandemic with our long-running game that's exactly what we did is we did meet in person but if with we had a roll 20 like lobby set up so mm-hmm. with the understanding if someone can't make it but still can play like they can still have the time available they just can't make it to the game for whatever reason we would just play on roll 20 and like you said we had a friend who moved away so for that six month period we were just playing exclusively online so i definitely think it doesn't have to be one or the other I think that normalizing it being both online and in person when you can make it work is is the way of the future. I just need yeah. everybody here to move to Detroit so we can all play in person. <laughs> just, oh, just, man. just move oh, here. Actually, I want to sort of uh, piggyback off of that sort of thing because that actually brings up a question that a lot of people would typically ask where it's like, oh, you know, obviously people can't make it at a certain sessions and all that sort of stuff. Now, when you're dealing with a whole giant living universe, you're not only affecting just one campaign, you're affecting multiple so if someone's not there, like a big, big person, and they're kind mm-hmm. of needed for this sort of thing, what do you kind of do, right? And I implemented this whole feature, and I, by all means, take it if you want. I don't, I don't care. But it was uh, the system uh, known as the Keeper. I think I got it from XP to level three, and I enhanced a little bit more so. It's basically where there's this giant sort of 
random, mysterious plague doctor mask wearing individual that for no reason everybody knows is just like, hey, just don't talk to the keeper, don't mess with the keeper, all that stuff. But their main goal is to basically to take individuals whenever the character or the player is not able to be there and they just throw them into a pocket dimension and then they just appear back and return them back whenever they kind of need to. And you can do like any sort of wacky random indi- or kind of things with them. I, I kind of made it where they were like more of a cartoon character where they just slap somebody and they turn into like paste or something, just poop, disappear or yeah. something. Or they take them into a rat or like little top hat and just throw them and then run, <laughs> right? Like mm-hmm. stuff like a crazy like that. I love but, a good in-game explanation for stuff like that. I love when, yeah. I love using magic just going wonky. Yeah. Like you know that they're it's the end of the session, you're in that end of session fight, it's wrapping up, and mm-hmm. magic just goes wonky and oops, you turned into a wooden figurine for the next 24 hours. Guess <laughs> yeah. your party's gonna carry you around until you come back and then poof. You're fine again. Right, cool. right. Like they had to do this with Critical Role pretty famously because yeah. actually first season and second season, she was in the middle of wrapping up filming or mm-hmm. I think she was recording for like Last of Us or something. And uh, there were multiple times where it was like for Pike, since they were, since she was playing a cleric, they were like, her God needs her right now. And so she would just be gone multiple sessions. With Yasha, it was like there, there's a there was like an omen or something calling to her and she would like have to go off on her own path for a little while. And it's that's, I think that some DMs have the anxiety of I need everyone here at the table all the time or else the story is going to fall apart. I balance this or this for whatever. Mm-hmm. I have a bunch of these things and I'm like, I have these reserved whatever for DMs to let them know. The monster like difficulty by CR table mm-hmm. that's in the Dungeon Master's Guide. What I do, it, it, that has become my new go-to for every monster. Anything I'm going to run, I'm like, what's going to be about the challenge now? Because I know that players, like, real life is going to be a thing. And if I need to suddenly rebalance a monster I've made, I can just look at that table and be like, oh, okay, adjust these scores accordingly. Bring down, attack, whatever. It, it's, it goes so, so long and such a long way towards relieving any of that DM anxiety and burnout of this person can't make it, whatever, we can still play DM. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for big creatures, like, like when I have like big fights coming up, if someone's not there, I usually just drop the the HP by a certain amount. Yeah, yeah. I, I'll, I'll I'll take the HP and like divide it per player. Okay, I'm dropping it by that amount for one person missing. We can still yeah. keep going. The monster has a cold, has the flu, <laughs> has <laughs> monsteritis <laughs> or something. I'm a big fan of the drop in drop out style of play, though. Mm-hmm. It's funny when you plan for that and it doesn't go the way you want it to, or at least the way you plan, though. I ran a campaign a couple of years back that was mostly online where the party was all part of a mercenary company. And the whole idea was that they were just traveling around. And anytime anyone couldn't be there, it was because they were either like wounded or they were off doing another smaller job in like an adjacent city or something. So that was just a built in reason for that to be the case. But a lot of the like interaction, like role play and stuff. And also we had a whole discord set up for it because you kind of have to. And also like the company would use their gold to purchase upgrades and stuff so i had the whole list of oh you can spend your gold on better rations which will give you like temp hp or you can spend your gold on like better catapults or whatever and so they would do that stuff so even the people who couldn't show up felt like they were still interacting with the game but i think there were 10 players total in that game and we had one session where everybody showed up and i was like ah shit i never thought we would get this far i didn't think this was gonna happen (laughs) so then it just turned into i guess we're doing this every round in combat is gonna take about 20 minutes but that's okay get yourself a drink get some snacks and this is gonna be (laughs) literally we had at some point we just built 
built as if it took so long we just quickly added the second voice channel in discord and we're like all right if you just had your turn or you want to like talk shit go in the other chat and then jump back in this one when it's your turn yeah, or whatever right. and it oh just became much more of like a social gathering because i mean that mm-hmm. can happen that was not the norm though usually it was like five to six people which is what you yeah. expect that reminds me of that exact that sort of thing. That reminds me of one of the big world events that we kind of had. It was a 15 person raid boss. It was ridiculous. You, you can actually find it on the channel. I think uh, Sensei Suplex on YouTube, whatever. But basically, we had since we had so many people, we had to figure out exactly how are we going to manage this sort of thing. And we kind of I kind of came up with the mechanic where it's going to be like uh, three people are in the likes of the battlefield for two rounds or something like that, and while everybody else is kind of just off to the side, they're still able to be an initiative. They're still able to be able to kind of like heal buff and then send their guys out there. But we had to have multiple sort of voice chats and all that sort of stuff. And we're streaming the game so people could kind of see what's going on. So <laughs> after the big old sort of raid boss was done and set, they're like, yeah, I was just like trying to make sure like, hey, did you guys have a fun time? Because I wasn't entirely sure about the raid boss mechanics. And they're like, heck yeah, we did. It was like watching a football <laughs> game. We're just eating, drinking and all that sort of stuff and just having a great time and just watching it. Uh, it, it was just freaking <laughs> awesome. <laughs> that is. Yeah, there's a video game, actually, I guess spoilers for a 20 or 30 year old game now. But the way that they, uh, the way I would love to run a boss like that would be like the ending of Final Fantasy VII, the way that Sephiroth is run, where... There's a split of three different parties fighting yeah. and you can run him with he's got the different like quote unquote mythic actions or layer actions or whatever. I think it could be cool to do something like that. It would be absolute insanity, but like making sure that the boss still gets their turns once this party composition is gone, go over to the next one, whatever. But being sure that like if you're that could be its own cool subsystem, actually, I'm I you know I'm on 15 projects already. I don't need to add another <laughs> one right now. There's actually you know what well, I might have already done that. There's a book I worked on called Homefield Advantage that actually I think d- did that idea pretty well. Yeah, I think it would be cool to run like because we did a lot of development on that on Homefield Advantage, but I wasn't really thinking of that in terms of what did that running it like a raid boss maybe feel like. I think that's you need to give a boss more of the action economy really to do something like that. But God, let me. That would be cool to try and develop a subsystem for. We Hey, if you want, we can talk about it. I have a lot of just, see, combat is kind of my specialty. I, I love running combat, love running boss fights and all that sort of stuff. I, just, I'm going to blow your mind with just one sort of thing. What if you just gave your monster multiple initiatives? Right. Like, multiple yeah. initiatives, mythic actions, villain actions from Matt Colville. Go crazy with it. it, it Do it, it all. It, it gets something. <laughs> It is something. <laughs> yeah, there's, it was, so layer actions started on the idea, but I was always like, yeah, what if it was just no matter what, the boss is definitely getting a turn on turn 20 or like initiative order 20 and initiative order 10 or something. Just making sure that no matter what, that boss gets two turns per round. Now, yeah, it's going to require some rebalancing and whatnot, but by the time that the party is like up at like ninth level, you kind of have to throw like CR 14 and 15 monsters at them to really get a decent challenge. Whereas if you did a CR 9 monster and gave it two turns in initiative, oh, that's pretty scary. <laughs> like that, that, <laughs> that actually feels like you I might mean, have a pretty decent fight out of that. But yeah, you have a mind flare with two turns in initiative or a beholder with two turns in initiative. Oh my like, god, yeah. not a beholder. <laughs> yeah, Goodness. especially a beholder would be miserable (laughs) i love the holders oh man i've only ran one but i want to run more they're they're awful but they're so cool one of the 
I think one of my favorite encounters a friend of mine ever ran was she turned a beholder into a shop owner because we were in the underdark and they own, it was a beholder that ran a lingerie store. Nice. And I think, I think that was one of my favorite encounters. It wasn't a combat encounter, but it was just really interesting to interact with the monster in a totally different way outside of combat. I really um, want to know now, was it lingerie for beholders? Oh, yeah. it was all inclusive. Yeah. Oh, so like any type <laughs> of body, any size, tieflings, any amount of arms, everything humanoid under the sun, you know, for your gnomes, all sizes, all, all, this, all species This has just included. opened up a whole new world of like lore <laughs> deep diving to me that I never even mm -hmm. considered before. Because like when you think about the purpose of lingerie, it's meant to make you look like sexy or attractive mm -hmm. or whatever. So, but that might be different to different mm -hmm. cultures, right? So yeah. what you have like tiefling lingerie would look different than like your whatever human culture that is in versus whatever like nearby orc mm -hmm. culture versus huh how's <laughs> someone needs to make a video about this deepest lore <laughs> that's one of the things i love so much about my best friend jen and she was my first dm and she's dm's multiple campaign for me now is she takes things and she will just take a concept and flip it on its head and she'll take creatures and she'll just do something totally out of left field with them and i think it, it it's one of my my favorite things she gave us a pet mimic also hell yeah that <laughs> yeah. when you fed it it got a little bit larger which turned out to be a problem because our mansion couldn't hold it anymore <laughs> but it also would like belch out a, a small potion which would have half the effect of whatever the potion would normally do okay um that's sweet. so yeah so his name I, is um, breakfast oh. here's the door <laughs> it's, it's really funny you mentioned the beholder specifically though in a different role because mm -hmm. I currently well, that's the thing right they're super yeah. intelligent and while like most of them are pretty paranoid at least according to like mm -hmm. canon lore they are t super intelligent and they're sentient creatures so they mm -hmm. can make their own decisions and in I'm currently running a group of friends through the Spelljammer Light of Xerixis campaign that was the one that came bundled with the fifth edition okay. Spelljammer stuff yeah and in that campaign one of the NPCs is a beholder that runs a tavern and his name is Large Luigi and he's very friendly. Large um, Luigi? Yeah, Large Luigi oh is his name. And he, he runs a tavern <laughs> called the Smiling Beholder, which you think, oh, that's like kind of menacing name in this like pirate port. But then you go in and it's literally just a super happy-go-lucky mm -hmm. beholder. And one of the players said to me, oh, this is the first time I've ever encountered a beholder in D&D. &D. And I was like, really? But I think they have such a reputation for being so deadly. And they're also so complex and difficult to run if you want to do it well. Because mm -hmm. a beholder is not just a monster. You can be like, oh, you encounter a beholder. They're not going to just show up um, without any thought put into it. I was like, yeah, I guess I, I haven't run a lot of beholders in my time. And I think that Large Luigi is definitely the one who's been on screen for the most amount of time. <laughs> I want to see more DMs run intelligent monsters intelligently yeah right <laughs> that's well. that's one thing that takes combat and turns it on its head because when you it have that really high does. level spellcaster and it counterspells your healing spell or it targets your healer like yeah. it you have to think differently it's not just a numbers game it's also then you actually get some tactics involved in it and i think that if you especially with like the monsters like the beholders and stuff like what what if it tries to warm its way out of combat with you like what are you gonna do what if it there's tries a, to manipulate a party member? Like, there's, there's a great so many ways that. that you can make combat interesting other than just hacking and slashing. Don't know if you've got this one. Yeah. The monsters, the monsters know what, know they're, what doing. they're doing. I've had a few conversations with Keith Amon that this is just like the perfect AI to plug in. Even if you're like, 
I feel like this thing is this foot holder is definitely going to be smarter than me. I don't know how I'm supposed to role play that out. Mm-hmm. Like role play is one thing, but like in terms of running it in combat, mm-hmm. you'll at least feel like this thing knows what's going to be effective in its turn mm-hmm. or, order. I dropped yeah. a, a picture in the chat, but it was like I wanted to run a beholder encounter just as like an arena for this expo I was hired to DM at, and so I set up this whole like massive thing whatever (laughs) i wanted to run this beholder encounter because number one i hadn't really ever gotten to run one before players hadn't been able to really get up to that level quite yet and i was like i just want to i feel like that would be cool just have people sit down play DD, and then fight a beholder i do that any day of the week but it is a boy the thing that got really frustrating with that out of i think i ran eight or eight or nine different groups through that encounter only two of them died. They were all like level nine. No, mm-hmm. level 10. Two uh, players or two parties? Wait, say that one more time. You said two of them died, two players or two parties? Died? Two parties TPK'd. Okay. Yeah, it, it wasn't necessarily because the Beholder was like dealing a bunch of damage. It was because they kept getting petrified or mm-hmm. paralyzed. The conditions are terrifying that it can dish <laughs> yeah. out. It, it, it got to a point where it was like either everybody had been turned to stone Or nobody could literally move and the Beholder just starts chomping them down. I've always said Beholders are a great example, but dragons especially, Mm -hmm. obviously, are very popular monsters. Dragons, if run optimally and like a bitch, and if you don't care about anyone else at the table having fun, can punch (laughs) so high above their weight class, it's not even funny, right? Like a dragon isn't going to ever in reality land in front of a group of players and let them hit it it's going to just pass over them and roast the entire area with its breath and fly away and wait until it has its breath weapon back and just pass over again and just keep doing that until it's okay you guys are mostly dead now i'm going to come down and kill the last couple people that are still crawling around and finish the job but that's not fun so that's why we don't play them like that yeah but i've always wanted to run a campaign this is my this is my dream campaign. If I can ever find like the perfect group of players to do this who would be super invested in the role play and be willing to treat it like a puzzle. We'd run a campaign that starts out at level zero and basically every character or every player rather would just have a stack of character sheets in front of them. And the beginning of the campaign would be like an adult red dragon attacking a town and they would be playing the people in the town. And the objective of that part of the campaign would be to just escape. And you're mm-hmm. going to just be burning through these character sheets. So John, the lumber guy, dead. Jake, the blacksmith, <laughs> dead. Because you you have four hit points or whatever, right? So the objective is just to leave. And whatever character you happen to be playing as when you escape the city, that's who your character is. And then at the end of that session, everyone becomes level one and chooses like whatever class they're actually going to be. And they get taken in by some order of knights or something nearby. That's a it's cool like, okay. prelude. And yeah. That would be the start of the campaign. And the entire goal of the campaign is mm-hmm. to kill the dragon that incinerated their town. It's just about vengeance. But the dragon is like an adult red dragon. So how do you do that? Well, we have lots of adventures and stuff like building up, but ulti- and like doing lots of things and leveling up and getting more powerful. But the ultimate goal is to just kill this dragon. And the dragon would be run optimally. So it's okay. It's going to just pass over and roast you but unless you figure out a way to solve that problem. Because the reason that's not fun is because most people don't, anticipate that right like you can solve that problem there are tools in the game that exist to you but if your dm either you haven't played with them before or they don't typically run combat in such a brutal way a dragon encounter run like that normally wouldn't be fun but when that's the expectation then it becomes like mm-hmm. a puzzle to solve it's yeah, like, okay yeah. first we have to deal with how it's flying how do we do that 
can we find like an anti-gravity scroll or something we can use right. to, to trap it or reverse gravity to trap it or something. And I just think that would be a really fun campaign, but it would also be one of those things that like you would have to find a group of players who are really willing to take that on because DMing that, of course, you would do it in good faith in order for it to be fun. But part of doing that in good faith would mean getting mean about it. If the dragons, oh, yeah. I have an opportunity yeah. to kill someone. I'm not going to attack someone else. I'm going to stomp on this unconscious mm-hmm. person and take right. them out of the game, right? It's Skyrim syndrome. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, after yeah. that game, it was like, it was really clear that suddenly dragons just got dumber, right? Like, <laughs> really, if you think about it, the way that we're running dragons, if you run them like they are in Skyrim, it's, yeah, they're just, they're letting you take hits on them and everything. And realistically, it's like, if they're that smart, I, honestly, it was part of the reason why I loved Elden Ring so much was because the first dragon fight I had in that game. I think you saw that on stream, Sarah. The first yeah, dragon I saw, fight. I thought felt... you fight it after I found it in game and I ran away screaming. <laughs> <laughs> well, so the first dragon, I'm not saying that every dragon fight in Elden Ring is good, but the first time that you fight a dragon in that game, you will feel like, oh my God, they figured out how to make dragons cool in a video game again. Like, I I have never had a fight that felt that cinematic where I was, I mean, there's even stream VODs of me just being like, holy crap, that was amazing, you know? But eventually you find out that that's how every dragon is yeah. going to be. And you just know, oh, okay, it only breathes fire to the left of itself ever. And this is like a thing for every dragon. Why? And they, while well, they do definitely get on the ground, so I got to stop for a second and like breathe fire. They, I feel like with a little update to their AI, that could be the perfect dragon fight. It's so close. You're it literally is- describing the difference or what, what, in my opinion, is the difference between video games and tabletop games and where tabletop games shine is because yeah. in a video game, you're, it could be a really good AI, but eventually once you figure it out, you figure it out. But if you're running a dragon right. encounter and the players are getting wise to the tactics you're using, you can adjust and a dragon is smart enough to do that, right? Once you figure the game loop, you're just going to keep repeating whatever solution it is and then it's over, right? Yeah. Totally. I, since this podcast, we've talked a lot about D&D, which I'm happy we have. I also wanted to just get people a chance to know, like everybody else who appears on the podcast, what else are into. So on, on your off days, whenever you're not running this ever-expanding world, this experience that you're doing, what what else are you into, man? Uh, so I'm into a lot of things, just random, like pretty much anything nerd, I'm pretty much into it. So anime, you name it. When it comes to video games, obviously loving, loving that. I also really, really into sort of just working out fitness and all that sort of stuff. I wasn't really into sports as a kid, but I did do a sport in high school, wrestling, and love WWE. I even got a WWE shirt right here. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> Suplex City Suplex with Brock Lesnar and all that stuff. Yeah, I love it. So, I mean, it, it's just pretty much anything nerdy. I, I'm into it. Definitely, definitely into it. Top five anime. Top five anime. Black Clover, for sure. I don't care what any of you guys say. I will fight. I will fight everybody on that hill. <laughs> okay. Um, Black Clover, Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. Oh, God. I don't say it's the best, but I, it's one of my favorite. Naruto, for sure. I grew up with the kid. Come on. Come on. Oh, yeah. Right, right, right. Oh, boy. God, this is this is tough. I was going to say, that's a hard question. I yeah, that. God, that, that is tough. In terms of just ridiculously stupid anime that it's just so fun to laugh at and just, I don't know, have a good time. It's not going to be like JoJo's or anything like that. It's mm-hmm. actually either Kuroko no Basket or Kingen Ashura. Those animes are just stupid, hilarious. <laughs> and just amounts to ridiculousness about them. And then let's say if the fifth final one. 
Oh boy, I don't know. I have a love-hate relationship with it, but I, I, I like what they do. I, I guess my hero academia, I'm, I'm pretty much a shonen guy. I've always been. Either yeah. that or Jujutsu Kaisen. I, I just love shonen. So. Hell yeah. Taryn, do you watch anime? If it strikes me, okay, so whenever I was in high school, like, my favorite anime, and I still think it's, like, one of the best stories ever told, it's gotta be Cowboy Bebop. I love Cowboy Bebop. Um, I've always wanted to play, like, a Blades in the, was it Blades in the Dark Fortune? I, oh my god. I'm, Did you know that there's a Cowboy Bebop role-playing game now? I, like, yeah, what? I, yep. However, right. <laughs> I will say right Every, now. They can't see us, but everyone was like, oh. <laughs> yeah, the one that's currently got all of my attention right now is Spy X Family. That is my, that is my all-time favorite. Well, it, it, it takes one, my top spot with another one. Yeah, uh, Cowboy Bebop is still probably like my best experience I've ever had with an anime. The most I've been like, oh my god, whatever, sucked into it. But like, Spy Family, it's just hitting me at the right time right now. Here I am at 33 and I'm like, ready to be a dad. And like, mm -hmm. feeling like, alright, whatever. There's just, I've never had something that warm, cozy, like, yeah, dude, that show's just amazing. I, I, yeah. I love that. I didn't recommend it to watch it. Like, my girlfriend's like, you gotta watch Spike's Family, Spike's Family. I'm like, I'll get to it eventually. She's trying to give you baby fever, man. Like, that's <laughs> what's going on. I was this close to watching it last night. Again, the same kind of thing. Everyone's been recommending it to me. Mm -hmm. but you, well, Sarah, when I you mentioned you, it, what's your... Oh, I need sorry, you both ahead. to go watch Spyx Family. All right, that's yeah. your homework for next week. <laughs> for next week? What's my tops anime? are Spyx Family and Come Can't Communicate are my two top favorite, which if you ever haven't heard of that second one, it's uh, about a girl who is nonverbal and deals with severe anxiety. And it okay. focuses around a lot of the ways all of the characters deal with anxiety and, and mental health stressors. And it's just beautifully done. Is that the girl that's got the blank expression mm -hmm. that all the memes yeah. are? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, my next one is, we have an MMO junkie. Okay. It's, never heard of that one. Never heard of this. <laughs> it's about a, a girl, basically, like she loses her job and all she's doing is playing MMOs. And she meets someone in an MMO falls basically falls in love with them and it turns out to be one of the people that originally got her into like mmos and like they reconnect it's it, it's a love story and it's also very awkward but very cute and then my two favorite wholesome animes are kataro lives alone it's about mm. a four-year-old that lives on their own in an apartment complex and how the apartment complex basically just adopts this little kid but it's it's just it's just very cute the stuff that they get up to and by the grace of the gods is about a magical slime farmer and he just goes around with all of his slimes cleaning up the town and solving problems for everyone <laughs> and there's no there's no real there's no real like bad guy in it it's just wholesome slime fun and the slimes yeah. there's different slimes and the slimes do different things and he breeds the slimes and makes <laughs> new slimes <laughs> <laughs> look anime's weird okay we can all agree no, you, on that we've seen you, enough you of it you sold me you sold me with the sentence wholesome slime fun that just sounds like a great tagline i binged the first right. time i watched it i binged it all in a day and it is the cutest but those are my top five and i recommend them to anyone okay yeah i guess Did, i haven't gone but taryn what were you gonna say well i was just gonna say for, for some reason it seems like this has come up a lot in my friend group the last couple of weeks but do you guys remember there were a couple of anime a couple of anime that showed up on like tsunami in the past that, like i don't 
I, I asked people today and it's like it just seem not aware of them like trigun i think mm-hmm. is the most popular mm-hmm. one that doesn't usually show up on a lot of top five lists but it's like yeah. great show outlaw star did you guys Don't ever watch outlaw one. star Ooh. Ooh, big o <laughs> you never saw big o it was like oh man yeah they, these were like the, these were some of the like tanami like action anime that were on for a while outlaw star is fantastic but i think the reason why like outlaw star i think like outlaw star and trigun didn't get like boom crazy exposure was because like they always started off the anime reel on adult swim with cowboy bebop and by that time, it was like it was already eleven o'clock at night, and everyone was like getting ready to go to whatever. No, Trigun, fantastic show. Big O, yeah. killer. Outlaw Star, same way. It's just like they didn't get that prime time spot. You know what I mean? But, right, right. right. Yeah, but what was watched, your list? Have any of you watched the new Thundercats from twenty eleven? No, I have not. I, I heard, heard it came that- out, but I never watched it. I'm watching it right now. I, I actually really like it. It's about Lionel and the Thundercats before they were the Thundercats that we all know, basically. They were just cats. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> basically it's the, you see the fall of Thundera. Yeah. And and they're they're questing to co- basically complete the sword and that gauntlet thing that he wears. And he's, he's, he's learning how to be a leader along the way. <laughs> and the true leadership was the friends they made along. That doesn't all right. <laughs> yeah, was your list, Josiah? Okay, so number one is an easy clap for me. Number one is Space Dandy. I fucking oh, love yeah, that show. Right. Space Dandy is wild. If you have not watched it, I would highly recommend it. It's basically, it's maybe the same person who made Cowboy Bebop. And it's basically, it's in the same universe as Cowboy Bebop. It's like there are some similarities and there's no real characters that cross over, but like the currency is the same and like they make reference to some of the same places and that kind of thing. And it's also about a space faring bounty hunter, except instead he's the total opposite of Spike, where Spike is like super cool and like smooth jazz make awesome guy. Dandy <laughs> is like a fucking loser and he never succeeds at any of the aliens he tries to capture. And his assistant is a robot vacuum cleaner ai and he just sucks at everything and the whole every it's not cowboy bebop where it's like a continuous thing like every episode is its own episode and it's basically the creator said that this was all the like weird ideas he had for cowboy bebop (laughs) but couldn't put in a serious show about people not being total fuck-ups so then put it into a different anime Uh, but anyways yeah it's a great show i really love space dandy i don't know i don't really have any numbered order beyond that so no particular order i really like parasite parasite the maxim Parasite's good. awesome i like jojo's a lot as well but it depends on which season because they're all so different and one of them is like a slice of life anime one of them is like a prison break anime they're all so different but what is it golden wind the italian one is one of the most fun times i've ever had watching a tv show yeah other than that i don't know full metal alchemist brotherhood is also up there i haven't watched it in a really long time but it's i've seen it like four or five times it's definitely one of just one of those shows that i think holds up i don't know what are we saying five I'm trying to think of other animes we've even watched. I'm not huge into anime. I really like anime, but it also is one of those things that like there are people who watch everything and then like, oh, yeah. Yeah, these are the good ones. And then I will wait to hear from those people. What are the good ones? And then go that's watch me. those. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> yeah. Wait, so which it, one's your favorite JoJo? Yeah, who's your favorite JoJo? My favorite JoJo, I think, is... It feels so lame 
You know what? I think it actually, I'm going to pick a controversial, but I don't know if this is controversial. I'm not really involved in the JoJo fandom at all. I really <laughs> like Joseph and I hated him. Oh, at I first, love Joseph. <laughs> but I started to like him the more I watched it. And by the end of it, I think he actually is my favorite of the JoJo's. But Golden Wind is definitely my favorite story arc overall. Although I might be biased because that's the most recent one that I watched. I just remember getting to the part of the story where they're in, I can't remember the name of the arc, but it's with Josuke and when it becomes really like slice of lifey. And I remember there being some really hype moments during that part of this, that story arc, but also a lot of it, I was just like, okay, like this isn't really my thing, which is fine. And I know some people that probably feel the exact opposite to the way that I do, but I really like, I love the ridiculous fights is what I like about it. Yeah. And that's why I love Golden Wind so much is because almost every episode there is a ridiculous fight because JoJo's is basically the equivalent of a bunch of kids play fighting on a playground, but with real powers, right? Where it's yeah. like, I shoot you with my laser gun. It's, oh, I have a laser gun shield that I can activate three times a day as long as it's between the hours <laughs> yeah. of one and three, which it is. And they're like, oh, but you forgot about daylight savings time. And they'll be like, oh, no. And then they get shot. And that's just the kind of shit that you do when you're like a kid playing swords in the woods or whatever, except someone animated it with like beautiful colors. And it is just really visually stunning. So as long as you're not like, I need serious grounded rules and you're okay with people just literally making shit up on the spot. It is very fun. I saw it, someone was like summarizing what Jojo's what watching Jojo's was like before I started watching it. And they were like, it's like watching RuPaul's drag race and dragon ball Z just smash <laughs> it. And I was like, that is a hundred percent correct. <laughs> yeah. It's one of those things too, where as it, Ob obviously when you first watch it, you're like oh look at all these beautiful muscly men this is the future jordan peterson wants all the beautiful muscly men <laughs> out here doing their beautiful muscly man thing but then every season the designs get more and more i don't know how to say it other than yeah like rupaul like yeah. more extravagant <laughs> and like flamboyant and oh, colorful okay. And I was here for it. I was like, hell yeah, dude, this is sick. Let's go. I, I genuinely do love that show. It's got its highs and lows for me personally, but it's overall something that whenever someone should I watch it, I'm like, whether you hate it or love it, you should at least watch it. Like at least. Mm -hmm. yeah, I, I definitely think the first two JoJo's have pretty mainstream appeal. Like yeah. it's just if you're just down for that ridiculous like roller coaster, just be like, Look, some, they're just going to say some stuff. That's going to be how the thing works. Just let it be. So the, the episode where I realized nothing mattered was in the third season when they encounter a guy who is on a, the, the enemy that they're fighting is a monkey and his power, <laughs> like his stand manifestation is the ship that they're all on. <laughs> so it's okay. I'm so you're fighting like have to watch a, this. You're fighting <laughs> like slightly above average intelligence monkey and his power manifests as a cruise ship and it's the ship that we're all on right now and like when that and they started explaining like how this works I'm like oh because of this and this of course and i'm like yeah of course like fucking why would i ever not realize that was what was happening yeah um it is ludicrous it, i also do it, yeah. love too after two seasons they just completely change what the show is even about like the first two seasons like okay we're hunt we're a family that hunts vampires and we can channel positive energy, like a radiant soul monk in D&D. Like we can use the sun basically to kill people. Right. Okay. And then the second they're like, all right, 
that's all bullshit. That's done now. Yeah. Now we can all manifest our souls outside of our bodies as like powerful entities that we can make fight each other in. They all have very weird and specific powers. And also they're all named after the cards in a deck of tarot. Yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> and it just explains that to you in the first five minutes of episode one in season three. It's like, that's just how the show works now. And you either reject or accept that. And if you choose to accept it, then it's buckle up. Because yeah, if you want to know what, if you want to know what monk they're going to put into the next book of D&D, just see what they're doing in JoJo's. Like, oh, man. The stands are just astral self monk. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Great. I, I got to start getting back into JoJo's. Like, I only watched like a little bit of season one like a couple of years ago and stuff like that. I mainly just look at random clips on YouTube. And it's like, God, I got to watch this show. It's just ridiculous. It seems just a lot of fun for sure. I, yeah, I promise you, if it's like a 10 point scale, JoJo's the first season is ridiculous, but it's at four. And it gets, yes. oh my. It gets so crazy. It's yeah, in a really fun way, though. Watch yeah. it in the same way that you watch like wrestling. Yeah. I just, I let my mind go and I'm like, yeah, this guy's mad at this guy because he kicked his dad's cow last week. Absolutely. Yeah, let's go for yeah. it. There's, <laughs> there's a character in the most recent season who is literally like, a, they look like a human person, but their body is made up of a sentient colony of plankton. <laughs> that has been granted sentience by whatever oh, power exists so like they're just actually like a million small creatures that have taken the shape of a human and <laughs> fucking weird it's so weird so yeah i don't know i thought if i anyone who's listening to this right now is who hasn't seen jojo's is either that sounds like the dumbest thing in the world or that sounds like the dumbest thing in the world but i really want to watch it like yeah. it's one of one way or one of two ways so i don't know check it out or don't i'm not your dad i think with that we've been recording for an hour now I, with I, I think in this wrap up here he shout yourself out it, what, what all are you working sure. on where can everybody find you sure you can find me pretty much on almost all social media platforms from twitch and youtube and tiktok those being the main big three those are all under sensei suplex or either sensei underscore suplex i'm on twitter so if you guys want to ever just keep in mind of like what's kind of happening in the Auroraverse and all that sort of stuff. Then yeah, I go check it out over there on Instagram. Big projects that we got in the works. Next week, we got the likes of our big final session sort of going on before the end, of, like for pretty much the end of the year and all that stuff. And then afterwards, for the beginning of January, it's going to be a giant, giant tournament arc between all three or excuse me, four campaigns. They're going to be all sort of gathering forth and trying to basically win the likes of this tournament, but they're trying to win it against this or sort of overlooming threat that is if they do get the power at the end of the tournament then essentially they're going to have enough power and enough sort of influence over the entire world to essentially turn it to uh, turmoil and utter chaos so it's gonna be really really interesting to see all four campaigns finally get together and duke it out but also work together in this wacky wacky uh, sort of story that we've been uh, putting on so far and uh, last sort of thing, I guess, I got a bunch more campaigns in Project Aura that are getting started. So, hey, if you actually want to join into one of the campaigns and be a player, by all means, join our Discord. I'll have to send you the link and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah get to playing some D&D. Awesome. Cool, yeah. We'll have a link for that down in the description below. Any Anything else on the agenda? Are we, 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 what do we got coming up? Well, I have something that I'd like to shout out. So for anyone who ever has not seen me DM, because I don't do it very often, if you would like to come hang out with me on my birthday this year, December 9th at... Let me do that again. <laughs> <laughs> 
excuse me. For anyone who hasn't seen me DM before, because I don't do it very much on the internet, if you'd like to come hang out with me on my birthday this year, December 9th at 3.30 p.m. over on the Bard's Playhouse. Unfortunately, by the time this goes live, I believe the auctions for the seats at the table will be closed, but I will be DMing one of 12 charity games for Jasper's game day, and it's going to be a really great time. And you should come see what I force them to fight in this frosty <laughs> adventure. That's it. That's me. Bars Playhouse on Twitch. Nice. Thank you. Well, I guess with that one, don't know what we'll be talking about next week. We never know what we're talking about next week. We got lucky this week and we didn't know what we were talking about, but we've planned this yeah. entire season. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like real talk, we usually figure it out. As right we before we go live. Yeah. It's like, okay, what are we talking about this week? I don't know. Improv it. Let's go. Ghosts. Okay, cool. And oh wait. Zoom call is now one recording. more thing. We need your ghost update. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Okay. Ghost update. So as you guys know, my house may or may not be haunted, or it might just be the wind and something super explainable because that's probably what it is. I'm a skeptic. But I uh, Mallory's birthday was as of the time of this recording, like almost exactly a week ago, actually it was exactly a week ago. And what she wanted for her birthday was a bunch of ghost hunting stuff. So we now in the house have an EMF reader, a very sensitive temperature gun, uh, an extremely sensitive EVP microphone for tech for picking up ghost noises and a spirit box. So that spirit box, with, yeah. So that combined with some of the other stuff, uh, I think we're still trying to get a thermal camera that we can set up, like a multi-frequency camera that can detect all the different wavelengths and stuff, or whatever it's called. I don't know the proper term for it, but I can see infrared mm -hmm. is the word I'm looking for. Geez, and yeah, I don't know. She wants to start doing some ghost hunting content on her channel, which is awesome. But one of the things that we're going to definitely do is see if our house is haunted or not <laughs> so we haven't used any of that stuff yet but it, it is all present you, so you i don't know live stream this yeah well i think i'm we going will. to google I, flights right now i'm coming i don't know exactly when this is going to happen i know next week actually i do actually have something to shout out this just reminded me next week i'm going to be at pax unplugged wearing a it depends on which day but you will see me there either wearing a full patterned pokemon suit or the dungeon masters costume yeah. Like the animated yeah. I have both of those waiting in the wings. So one for each day. So if you see me there, come say hi. But that said, we're going to be at PAX and we're driving. So we're going to be gone pretty much all next week. But probably the week after that is when this will happen. I don't know. Keep an, keep an eye out for that. I'll be sure to mention it on the podcast when there's something that you can watch somewhere. But yeah, that may or may not be the beginning of her ghost hunting career is seeing if our house is on <laughs> i said to her though i was like we i was like don't she was like what do you mean don't i was like i don't want to know because if we find out that the house is haunted like we can't afford to move right now there's a housing crisis like we live in such a cheap place that that, that might make your house pretty valuable to someone well true well, that's the thing. Unfortunately, we're renting. If I owned it, I'd be like, hell yeah, okay. call Zach Baggins and be like, I would like one million dollars, please. <laughs> but yeah and then she, to her response without even a moment's hesitation she was like we can coexist with the ghost i was like can we she was like yes and she was like listen ghost we just want to be buds i was like okay we'll see what happens anyways that's the ghost update for this week nice. i'll keep you posted i'll keep awesome. you ghosted well thank you everyone <laughs> so much for listening to this ghost update and to our wonderful guests, thank you so much for being here. Uh, we hope you enjoyed listening to us, and we'll catch you all next week. Bye.
Toodles. Later. See you. I've never said toodles before. <laughs>